Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. Scott, oh mate, great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about... <laughs> The Korean axe murder incident. And, uh, well, with a name like that, you know you are going to get your money's worth this week. I'll tell you this. So this is the story, if you'll believe it. It is the story of when the United States mobilised planes, bombers, helicopters, heavy artillery, ships, nuclear ordnance, and over 10,000 troops just to chop down a tree in Korea. I mean... Talk about sending a bloody message. They obviously very much wanted this tree out of the way, that much is for sure. This is definitely one of the most uh, interesting and amusing instances to come out of the Korean Peninsula in the last few decades. Uh, so let's settle in here and have a chat about what uh, what went on here with, again, <laughs> the Korean axe murder incident. The uh, the tree chopping itself, uh, it took place in 1976, but we have to go, uh, we have to go back a fair bit further here for, for the sort of the wider context. And Obviously, this is more recent than what we're usually discussing on Half-Assed History, and, and obviously this is a little more political, therefore, than historical, as there's still a, a fair bit of iffy business between North and South Korea even today. And look, I'm definitely not smart enough to understand it all, but, uh, you know, all the same, here is, here is a sort of basic summary of, of the whole situation. At the end of the Second World War, uh, the Japanese controlled Korea, the entire peninsula of Korea, North and South Korea, which is just one. It was, it was an empire before the, the Japanese uh, took control of it in, in the early 20th century. And after the Second World War, it was split in two, with the North being occupied by the Soviet Union and the South being occupied by the United States. Now, this happened in other places, obviously, most famously Germany, and in particular Berlin, with East and West Germany under the influence of the Soviets and the Americans, respectively, there. But uh, after the division of Korea uh, was, was finally made official in 1948, just a couple of years after the, uh, the Second World War finished, that was after the first elections were held in, in, in South Korea there, the Soviet-influenced North actually invaded the South in 1950, and this was what kicked off the Korean War. Or as it, well, it's known by a couple of different names actually. Uh, you know, it's rather sadly called the Forgotten War in uh, in, in some historical circles because it, it is largely speaking speaking it's it's forgot it's been forgotten about compared to, of course, the enormity of the the Second World War, which which happened just before it, and then uh, you know the, all of the attention that was given to the Vietnam War, which happened just after it. So it tends to sort of not occupy a, a particularly high station in, in the history books. Um, but yeah, not, it's not called the Korean War. It's not called the Forgotten War in, uh, in North Korea. In North Korea, it is called Fatherland Colon Liberation War, which uh, does sound like a pretty snappy title for, for an action film, I reckon, or, you know, <laughs> a, a, a triple A video game. Um, but it, it sort of goes to show the, the particular flavor of insanity that tends to rule the roost in North Korea. Oh, again, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not using the proper words here to describe this place. It is, cause, of course, not actually called North Korea. It's actually called the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. So they've stapled all these adjectives to the front of their country's name, and they've still managed to stuff up all three of them. All three of them, none of them are accurate. I, I think a more accurate one would be uh, probably the Stalinist totalitarian dictatorship of Korea. That might be a little bit closer to the mark there. Anyway, South Korea little bit more modestly titled. They've only called themselves the Republic of Korea. But in order to f uh, avoid confusion today, we're just going to stick with North and South Korea. And I'm sure you know a little bit. I mean, it's been in the news recently anyway, so I'm sure you know about, the, you know, vaguely speaking, the situation between North Korea, South Korea and the rest of the world. Anyway, 
Korean War, obviously a nasty piece of work, and it actually results in a stalemate, military stalemate between North and South Korea, meaning that the, at the end of the war in 1953, the demilitarized zone, or the DMZ, as you've, you've probably heard of it called, uh, the DMZ is set up between the two Koreas, uh, as I say, in 53, um, as part of the armistice that ultimately ends the war altogether. Now, you know, it is a very complicated political situation both back then and even now, but uh, the long and the short of it is that the, the DMZ is where the two Koreas sort of face off against each other and, and try not to start the Third World War. And uh, irrespective of, you know, your current political views and, 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 you know, how you sort of take the temperature of the situation right now, it's definitely been a bit touch and go over the years. And uh, this incident here, uh, the Korean... <laughs> uh, sorry. The Korean axe murder incident is uh, is definitely one of the ones where it was uh, not so much touch and, and quite a lot of go there. Um, so it is in this DMZ, the demilitarized zone that our story takes place, a location that I've said uh, is, was fraught with danger, high political tension throughout the years, and of course just generally a lot of pretty bloody bad vibes, really. To you know, put it put it put it mildly. So. Within the DMZ, there's a place called the Joint Security Area, or the JSA. We're going to have a lot of acronyms this week. I apologise for that. Uh, which is a little place just north of Seoul, uh, near the western end of the border. So it's near the sort of west coast of, uh, of the Korean Peninsula there. Now, the JSA uh, was a facility, but a bunch of buildings there, managed by both Koreas, where they used to come to hang out and, and sort of chat. Well, I, that's a little bit casual. They didn't sort of, you know, come and play a bit of Xbox and, and you know, and, and eat some Doritos or anything. They they would go and have, you know, d- diplomatic negotiations and summits and whatever else, that sort of thing. Nowadays, not used for that. Apparently, it's uh, it's not much more than a tourist attraction. Pretty, pretty bloody weird tourist attraction, if you ask me. But, uh, you know, then again, my country is famous for the... Uh, big banana. So I'm not really in a position to make, you know, enormous sweeping value judgments about the respective merits of different uh, tourist attractions around the world. So anyway, back in the day, the JSA had uh, North and South Korean troops squaring off uh, at each other every day, giving each other the, uh, the stink eye across the board. You can go online and see pictures of these, of these um, you know, guards standing just metres away from each other uh, across the border guarding their respective sides. Um, there's a bit of a problem on the southern side, however, on the southern side there, the, the line of sight between an observation post and a checkpoint is blocked by this huge big tree. Bit of a security issue there for the South Koreans, for the for the UNC, as they were known, the United Nation Command. Uh, these, this was the, the the sort of loose alliance, well, not loose alliance, but the, the alliance of the the South Koreans and the, and the Americans, the US forces there. So the UNC is what we're calling the people on the south of the border at the moment. Bit of a problem there, obviously, because, you know, as I say, line of sight being blocked between observation post checkpoint, bit of a problem, they can't have this. No worries, so the South Koreans will just go and grab the old axe and we'll head out into the DMZ and we'll chop her down, no worries at all. So, five blokes from the, uh, the Korean Service Corps, they get ready to head off and they're going to be escorted by both South Korean and US troops who are part of this UNC, the United Nations Command. Now, none of them had proper weapons as there were very, very strict rules about soldiers carrying weapons in the DMZ. That's how, you know, tense this political atmosphere was at the time. Um, they didn't have any firearms, but they did have axes and they did have mattocks and stuff like that, you know, which are technically weapons. I, I mean, I, I suppose more or less anything could technically be used as a weapon if you determine enough, really. So, you know, passing over that for the moment, all these blokes, no proper weapons, no firearms, anything else like that, and uh, all 19 of them, they head out into the DMZ to chop down this tree. Easy enough, you would think, right? So, yep, no problem there. Chop down a tree, all in a day's work. Actually, no, you probably wouldn't think that at all because, you know, you've 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 read the title and you've listened to the title of this episode. It's the Korean axe murder incident. It's not the peaceful tree chopping occurrence. So you probably know what's going to happen. 
And yeah, sure enough, they start working on chopping the tree. And before long, the North Korean troops in the area have started to take notice and they do not like it at all. They send down uh, 15 or so of, uh, of their own troops and, uh, and they yell out at the UNC troops there to stop chopping down the tree. And the reason that these North Koreans give for them to stop chopping down the tree, they say, get, I mean, get ready for more North Korean insanity here. They say that it was because the, the that specific tree had specifically been planted by Kim Il-sung, the great leader of North Korea, and was under his personal care. Now, obviously, you know, this is this is relatively mild when it comes to North Korean insanity, claiming that their, their leader had personally planted this tree. You've probably heard of some of the utterly insane nonsense that surrounds, the, you know, the, the, the sort of the cult of personality around this bloke, Kim Il-sung, and his family. Uh, but you might not have heard the extent of it. So strap yourselves in because it is a bloody wild ride. Check this out. According to all the official biographies of Kim Il-sung, this is the dad of Kim Jong-il, who is the dad of Kim uh, Jong-un. Is it that, that bloke? The, 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 the bloke at the moment has got the big... It's current affairs. I don't know what I'm talking about. Anything, you know, it's got to, it's got to at least it's been 30 years ago before I've got any idea what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, uh, he was a granddaddy of the current uh, bloke who's in charge of North Korea. Anyway, so uh, according to all the official biographies of this bloke, right, he claimed to have become a revolutionary at the tender age of five years old when uh, obviously uh, Korea was, was occupied by Imperial Japan. And it was at this stage that he, he already was raging against the machine. He was rising up against the oppressors uh, by doing things like vandalising Japanese textbooks at school. My goodness me. No, no breaks on the revolutionary, revolutionary train here. This bloke cannot be contained. Uh, he also did some other stuff like wrecking Japanese police bikes. Pretty, you know, pretty mild there. I guess for a kid, that's not so mild, but still, whatever. I mean, almost certainly not true in any case. I mean, the vandalising textbooks, we'll give him that, but the other stuff, probably not. Anyway. When he got older, he apparently got stuck in, you know, in a much more serious way. Um, and uh, I'll tell you this, never mind what, you know, all the stuff you've heard about the end of the Second World War in Korea, not true. None of it, none of it are true at all about, you know, US involvement, the USSR beating out the Japanese. No, 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 none of that happened. Apparently, it was actually just Kim Il-sung, almost single-handedly, actually defeated the Japanese uh, in, in Korea. Apparently, he did it all by himself, which is which is quite an achievement. I've, you know, I've certainly learned something today. I certainly didn't know that before. Um, he went on to then propagate the myth that he didn't need to eat. Right, while he was like, he just apparently he didn't need to eat. He was this sort of semi-divine being, or even just a divine being, and he didn't need to eat. And by extension, he actually never needed to use the toilet. This bloke, I'm not. This is not a joke. This bloke was so revered by his people that they couldn't even imagine him pinching out a spiky turd. Imagine that. This this is the sort of esteem that he's held in. The North Korean calendar is based around his birthday, which is uh, the 15th of April, 1912, and that's the beginning of the calendar. It's, it's it's currently year 108 in North Korea. I guess in in more senses than one, I suppose, really. Um, but basically, this bloke was made out to be the absolute dog's bollocks, that, you know, the sort of the highest form of human existence that's sort of possible for people to attain or whatever. Um, the cult of personality around around the Kim family uh, blew up even further after after Kim Il-sung died, and it was, it was expanded to uh, include his son, Kim Jong-un, who, who I'm sure you, you know, you're almost certainly aware of. He, he was featured very heavily in the famous documentary Team America World Police, so I'm sure, you, you know, I'm sure you're across exactly what he was all about. Um, and it gets even more ridiculous with him. I'll tell you this. Um, I can I, I can kind of understand. You know, if, if you're the if you're the supreme leader, the great leader of this nation, whatever else, you got it under the thumb. I can I can kind of understand telling people that you know you you've won wars single handedly and you you never need to drop a juice. But but old mate Kim Jong Un was off his bloody uh, he's just off his trolley. This bloke. I don't know what. I don't know what was going on with this bloke with what some of the some of the stuff he told people. First of all, he claimed to have been born on top of a mountain under a double rainbow. 
and that a new star appeared when he was born. Well, how could he remember all of that, I hear you ask? Well, apparently he could walk by the time he was three years old, and he could talk at the age of eight weeks old, and best of all, he could drive a car at the age of three. So, already off to a flyer, this little kid, you would think. He wrote six operas in two years with, uh, you know, with, again, official, bi- official biographies telling us that all of, all of which, all of these operas, all of which are better than any in the history of music. So he's already outdone Beethoven and everyone else who are writing six operas in two years. Apparently gave that up very quickly. He also wrote 1,500 books before he graduated from university in 1964. 1,500 books. I don't know. I mean, I did a lot of mucking around in university. I certainly didn't write 15. I didn't write one book. I mean, you know, I, I'm looking back at my, I've got a, I've got a tin pot history podcast. I didn't write 1,500 books before I left university. Jeez. Apparently, you could also control the weather. I mean, just casually control the weather with his thoughts, um, which made, made a little bit difficult to explain, I guess, the, you know, the widespread famine amongst farmers, but, you know, whatever. But all of these achievements, all of these abilities, everything like that pales, pales in comparison. However, to his abilities on the golf course. The story goes that Kim Jong-un fancied playing a bit of ball chess one day and immediately, as soon as he picked up the clubs, he has shot a 38 under par with 11 holes in one, just like that, and he never played again. Now, sure, okay, lie about not having to go poo-poos. I mean, that, that I understand. But why are you lying about being good at golf? Who are you trying to impress with lies like, I, mean, I don't, I do not get it. There is all sorts of, you know, other ridiculously insane stuff that North Koreans claim. They claim they invented the hamburger, that they've cured AIDS and cancer, uh, that they've discovered unicorns, all sorts of stuff. And North Korea, they're off their trolleys. They're off their respect. There are no trolleys in North Korea with people on them. They are, they are bonkers. The headline here, they are... More than a few stubby short of a six-pack, to say the least. And so when they start talking about a tr- – I mean, you'll bring it back to a story here. When they start t- talking about a tree being nurtured by their great leader, you know, I-, I would imagine it's not a difficult assumption to make that they are talking right out of their asses. Anyway, things get a little bit more serious here. I've to, we, have to sort of, we have to sort of dial down a little bit here because things get a little bit more serious because after these North Korean idiots, they tell the UNC contingent to stop, stop cutting down the tree, they get ignored, um, and then this escalates things quite severely. It has, to, it has to be said as well. They, the North Koreans, they sent off a messenger and a short while later, 20 more North Koreans arrived. This time, they've got clubs and crowbars. So these guys are armed. And they tell the UNC people to stop cutting down the tree once again. And when they're ignored for a second time, the North Koreans, they actually attack this time using the clubs, the crowbars, the pipes, whatever else they've got, um, as well as some of the axes that were dropped by the blokes who were trying to chop down the tree. The North Koreans attack the UNC contingent there and injure, injure nearly all of them, all but one of them actually are injured. But Unfortunately for the uh, the Americans that are there, the Americans, they cop the worst of it. One of them, Captain Arthur Boniface, he gets knocked to the ground and he's actually beaten to death then and there, this poor bloke. Uh, while the other, First Lieutenant Mark Barrett, he tries to take refuge in a ditch behind a small wall um, and, and and he's sort of lost in, in this, you know, in, in this sort of altercation here. The rest of the, UNT, uh, the UNC contingent, they grab Boniface's body, they haul it back onto the truck and, and they fend off the North Koreans, get out of there, but they can't find Barrett. They still decide to get out of there, but they can't find him. When he's reported missing back at the UNC headquarters, Another group of guards say that they've noticed some North Koreans behaving strangely nearby, what they've been doing. One by one, they've been taking an axe out of sight down into a ditch and then returning after a few minutes, handing the axe to another guard who would then go down and do the same thing. And I mean, you've probably already guessed what happened here. Unfortunately, when the UNC, they sent out a rescue party and sure enough, there he is, poor old Barrett, First Lieutenant Barrett at the, at the bottom of a ditch, beaten to within an inch of his life, this poor bloke. And he didn't even make it a hospital. The UNC, obviously, they did their best to save him, but uh, he died en route shortly after all this all happened. So two Americans down after this on... Uh, altercation that you know they've been murdered there or been killed by these uh, by these North Koreans very very unfortunate indeed but 
you won't be surprised to learn that the North Koreans immediately started lying through their teeth about what happened. Here's the statement they released. I'm going to read it to you verbatim. This is what the North North Koreans had to say after this whole incident. Around 10.45am today, the American imperialist aggressors sent in 14 hoodlums with axes into the joint security area to cut the trees on their own accord, although such a work should have mutually consented beforehand. Four persons from our side went to the spot to warn them not to continue with the work without our consent. Against our persuasion, they attacked our guards en masse and committed a serious provocative act of beating our men, wielding murderous weapons and depending on the fact that they outnumbered us. Our guards could not but resort to self-defence measures under the circumstances of this reckless provocation. Now, you can go onto YouTube right now, not right now, wait till after the, the podcast, do it later, but you can go onto YouTube and find footage of this attack. It was all filmed by the UNC. They filmed this attack while it was actually happening. And you can see that this statement that the North Koreans released was demonstrably false. But that was the North Korean story, and by the great leader's eyebrows, they were sticking to it. Now, the United States, I think it is fair to say, has never been a nation that lets itself get pushed around. For better or for worse, you know, I don't want to bring modern day politics into it, but for better or for worse, the United States has never let itself be pushed around. You can, and you can be damn sure they weren't going to take this one lying down. The US president at the time was Gerald Ford, who actually is a pretty interesting bloke in his own right. You know, he doesn't sort of come into this story too much, but there are a few interesting things about Ford I want to share here. He's the only person to ever have served as both president and vice president without ever having been elected to either office, as he became the vice president when Nixon's original vice president, uh, Spiro Agnew, resigned, and then became the president when, when Nixon followed suit and resigned as well. Um, additionally, on top of this, you know, on top of never having been elected president, he wasn't born as Gerald Ford. His name at, at birth was Le- Leslie Lynch King Jr. Uh, it was changed in 1935 when his mother remarried, uh, for the better, I would say. Um, he also did a bit of modelling as a young bloke, and he once locked himself out of the White House at 3am and had to be let back in by the Secret Service, which I think is pretty funny. Anyway... Ford is keen to put together some kind of response here. He didn't want to make things worse and trigger a huge international incident, especially, you know, not one that was going to lead to war. But all the same, he wasn't going to muck around and let these blasted North Koreans walk all over him. No, absolutely not. So, as a result, he gets together all these military blokes, all these advisors, whatever else, they all get together and they plan... Operation Paul Bunyan, named after the legendary lumberjack from American folklore, folklore the big, you know, big, big giant bloke who, uh, who heard the, the ox, the, what is it, Babe the Blue Ox or something? I don't know too much about it, but uh, this, this legendary uh, lumberjack, this mythic creature, creature? Mythic person, I guess. Uh, um, he, he sort of became the, the, the name for this, uh, this tree-chopping uh, operation, which I think is a pretty good name, to be honest. I mean, I'm going to give it to him. Very, very good name indeed. Well done there, fellas. Um. And as a result, after all the planning's done, the US armed forces, they swing into gear. And it only takes them three days to pull all this together. The The initial attempt to chop down the, the tree took place um, on the 18th of August, 1976. And on the 21st, first thing, 7am, 21st of August, we see one of the silliest scenes in military history take place. The US pulled together... 800 blokes, Americans and Koreans, and escorted, uh, they, they escorted 16 army engineers with chainsaws down to the DMZ uh, towards this poor old tree. 
There was a convoy of 23 trucks with uh, 60 guards running alongside them armed with pistols. And in addition to these 60 guards with pistols, there were another 64 members of the South Korean Special Forces, all of whom seemed to be unarmed. Remember, you'll remember the strict rules about who and who, who could and couldn't be armed in the, uh, in the DMZ there. Um, but... Uh, as it turns out, all of these South Korean Special Forces members were all Taekwondo experts. They're all specialists in Taekwondo, so they'd be able to take care of business no matter what. And in case that wasn't enough, in case all the kicks and the punches in Taekwondo wasn't going to be enough, the convoy of trucks had actually had uh, assault rifles and grenade launchers hidden under sandbags for them to use just in case. And even better than this, the best thing about this contingent of spe- Korean Special Forces, these Taekwondo specialists who, who you know were going to be issued with grenade launchers, even better than that, right? One of these Special Forces blokes was a fellow named Moon Jae-in, who you may have heard of already. And the reason you may have heard of this bloke already is because today he is the president of South Korea. It is unbelievable. This bloke was there during this whole thing, and today he's leading the country. Anyway... On top of this, uh, this huge contingent of 800 troops there, they've also wired a nearby bridge to blow up in case the North Koreans try to, you know, any silly buggers trying to get across and disrupt what they were planning to do. And they've got a tank ready with its, you know, 165mm gun pointing at this bridge, ready to blow it up a moment's notice. So, 800 blokes, booby trap bridge, tank, not enough. Not enough yet at all. No, 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 no. We are not even close to starting this. This is the United States we're talking about. This is the United States. A small fries in the United States is large enough to feed, you know, a family of four anywhere else. They go big. I'm going to tell you that. So... Above this convoy, there were 27 helicopters, 20 helicopters with an entire infantry company loaded into them and seven attack helicopters at the ready, right? Behind them were B-52 Stratofortresses, right, being escorted by F-4 fighter jets. Again, we're all leading up towards, uh, you know, this this military operation and they've they've now got this huge contingent of, of, of the Air Force behind them as well. And we are still not close to finished. There are also South Korean fighter jets patrolling at high altitudes as well as US bombers prowling about. And on top of this, the USS Midway, a bloody aircraft carrier, had been diverted to the waters near the DMZ. And, you know, never mind what's happening... On the land, we've got an air. We've got we've got a we've got an aircraft carrier, one of the most powerful military instruments in the entire Earth, right? Entire Earth, face of the planet. An aircraft carrier is there, but on land, we have twelve thousand troops that have been called up on alert, including eighteen hundred mar- uh, Marines, as well as huge numbers of the of South Korean troops, and they've all been parked right along the edge of the DMZ at a moment, locked and loaded, ready to rumble, right? And it, there's, it, oh, it doesn't stop there, because on top of all of this, in quite a literal sense, way, way, way up in the skies, cruising around at a high altitude above the JSA, above the JSA were nuclear-capable bombers. Nuclear-capable bombers. Let's just stop to remind ourselves of the objective here. They are doing all of this. All of this, this, this enormous firepower of the United States Armed Forces has been, has been mobilised to chop down a tree. You remove the context from the situation and it is absolutely nuts. They've got nuclear bombers circling overhead to achieve something that my mate Stuart will do for 15 pounds and a cream cake from the bakery. Anyway, suffice to say, the United States were absolutely not mucking about. This would be like going to your big brother after getting picked on in primary school and having him turn up to, you know, turn up to have a word with the bullies, except he turns up looking like bloody Nicholas Angel from that bit in Hot Fuzz with guns strapped to every inch of his body. This is the sort of disproportionate response that the United States are in the business of right now. Anyway, apparently... 
the people who were listening to the, the, the North Korean radio chatter reported that this overwhelming show of force blew their minds. And uh, you won't be surprised to learn, therefore, that the second attempt to chop down the tree goes rather more smoothly than the first. The army engineers, they drive up to the tree, obviously completely surrounded by this huge armed escort that they've got, and one of the engineers climbs up onto the roof of the truck and starts getting down to business with the chainsaws. They go through several chainsaws, chopping one methodically like this, one by one, all the branches come off like that. The Americans apparently are cheering and having a big carry on every time a branch hits the ground, right? having a great time. But obviously... Obviously, everyone's waiting to see how North Korea is going to respond. And respond they do. They mobilise troops of their own, I'll tell you this. They send out about 150 of them, yeah, in buses. And get this, they don't even get out of the buses. They get shipped off, you know, about 150, 200 of these troops, they get shipped off to the the JSA and they just sit there in the bus. They don't know what to do. The UNC sent an official communication to the North Koreans at the JSA saying that a work party was there in order to, quote, peacefully finish the work left unfinished right? And uh, seeing what's actually going on here, eventually the North Koreans figure out what this whole thing is about. They sit there in their buses with no idea what to do until one of the US officers radios in that the North Koreans are finally arriving. They're just sitting there. So at that point, the air force is deployed. There's a great rumble across the horizon and the helicopters and the planes rise up into view and make a great big show of things whizzing around. Imagine being one of those North Koreans. You've been bussed off towards the JSA. Apparently, you know, the, the Americans, the South Koreans mucking around with this tree again. Oh, I've got to go and deal with that. And then all of a sudden, there's, a, there's 800 of them, right? 800 troops watching these engineers cut down a tree and then these great bloody stack of planes and helicopters appear. You'd be crapping your dacks, never mind the, the, the 12,000 troops that are at the uh, the DMZ border and the aircraft carrier out in the, out in the sea. Unbelievable. Think of that. Anyway, at this point, at this point, the North Koreans, they get out of the buses and they form up. I don't know what they're thinking, but they set up their machine guns, right? Set up their machine gun emplacements as they watch the engineers still going about, you know, cutting the tree down. It takes them almost 45 minutes, the, uh, the engineers, to chop down this tree, but... Here's the best part. Check this out. The best part about this whole tree thing being cut down, they don't cut it down completely. They cut down all the branches, all the leaves, obviously, so they could clear the line of sight between the uh, between the checkpoint and the uh, and the observation post. But they don't get rid of the trunk. They don't get rid of the trunk. After taking all the branches of the leaves, they leave the trunk there, sticking up six metres into the air like a great big middle finger sticking out of the ground. It is brilliant. I love it. I love it. Unfortunately, the, uh, the, the, the trunk isn't there anymore. It's been removed. There's now a monument there. But for a while, for a while there, there's a great big middle finger sticking out of the ground. I think it's fantastic. Anyway, I'll tell you this. All the dick-waving and all the ridiculous overkill, it actually had its intended effect. You know, from, from, from a more serious political standpoint, this actually did something. This actually achieved something pretty concrete here. North Korea was severely chastened, severely chastened by this entire incident. Embarrassed, really, they were. And uh, old mate no-turds, Kim Il-sung himself, uh, contacted the UMC to express regret for what had happened on the 18th of August. Now, you know, obviously that's not a particularly strong way of putting it, but this is also coming from the bloke who once awarded himself the Golden Double Hero Medal. So I think any type of, you know, backing down from someone who has called themselves the Golden Double Hero and given themselves a medal to that effect is definitely a step in the right direction, and, and that's the way that they saw it. It's actually the first time that North Korea had ever taken responsibility for anything like this since the Korean War. So the UNC, as I say, definitely saw it in, step, in the right direction. And, and I guess the return on the investment, a pretty expensive investment, but getting the golden double here at a back down at least a little bit, you know, and, and 
Well, I was going to say crappy stacks, but he, obviously he doesn't do that. But, you know, at least, you know, break a sweat. Well, maybe he didn't even break a sweat. I don't know. In any case, it was a big step politically for uh, for, for, for this whole, uh, you know, sort of set of diplomatic relations there. So it, it did achieve something more concrete. And I guess in a broader sense, there is something of, uh, you know, I, I guess the, the, the Korean axe murder <laughs> incident, it, it actually does teach us a very important lesson about standing up to bullies. If you are being picked on, if you're being threatened or beaten up or in any way harassed or abused, just call in a squad of nuclear-capable aircraft and it should solve the problem. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of the Korean axe murder incident. I hope... You know, you know, it's one of those. It's, it's very clickbaity. The title. It's a very click. It's it's one of the. It's one of those books that you you pick up from the library shelf and think, oh, this is going to be a good one. So I really do hope you got enough bang for your buck here. Having said that, your buck was exactly zero. So I don't know how much bang you're expecting, unless you're a Patreon. In which case. Thank you. I didn't really have anything prepared for that. Anyway, that's that for this week. Going to close out with the normal boring uh, rubbish housekeeping stuff here. Halfhousehistory.net. Please get in touch with the show. Plenty of people have. You can too. Uh, there's a contact form at the website as well as old episodes. You can, you can subscribe via iTunes. Still haven't got it on Spotify. Don't know how. Please tell me if you know how to do that. Um, the Patreon, as I mentioned, I've got people chucking me money every week and I do very much appreciate it. Can't thank you enough. Bottom of my heart. Really, fellas, thanks so much for all the, uh, all the cash you're sending my way. Uh, and if you want to join those exalted ranks, please do. I still don't have any benefits or anything. If you've got an idea for a benefit, if you want me to do anything special for you guys, I will certainly bend over backwards for it because I can't say how much I appreciate it. Speaking of uh, doing nice things for my listeners, if you'd like stickers, I'll send them out to you for free. You just need to send me your address. Uh, I have sent out every... If you're still waiting, they should be in the post, but if they don't come the next couple of weeks, let me know and, and I'll send them through again because I don't know what's happened there. I, I, I'm up to date, which is un unbelievable for me, really. Um, and I think that's that. I think that's that. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you back here again next week for more half hour history. Until then, leaving you, of course, with a question posed on Reddit here. Uh, obviously, we've talked a lot about North Korea, talked a lot about South Korea this, uh, this episode. And uh, Reddit historian Look A Loser wants to know, what's the deal with East and West Korea? <laughs>